Hello and welcome to the very first Pump Court Family Law Podcast in Series 6. I'm Jennifer Lee of Pump Court Chambers. I hope you've all had an excellent summer. I'm delighted to be joined today by two very special guests, Natalie Sutherland, who is a partner at the law firm Burgess Me, and Samaya Wazani, who is the CEO and founder of the legal recruitment firm Mimosa Fleur. Natalie and Samaya will be speaking to us today about their brilliant and important initiative, Infertility in the City. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Natalie advises clients on the whole spectrum of family law issues, including divorce and financial remedies, and complex children matters such as international and domestic relocation, and surrogacy and fertility law. Uh, Natalie now spearheads Burgess Mee's Modern Families Department, where she not only deals with surrogacy, but also assisted reproduction law, including donor conception, platonic co-parenting, and known donor agreements. Uh, many of you will also know that Natalie is the first uh, ever fertility officer uh, uh, ever appointed uh, in the United Kingdom. Samaya is the CEO and founder of Mimosa Fleur, which specializes in recruiting into five legal sectors, including private wealth, uh, which encompasses family. She spent many years working as a divorce lawyer at Kingsley Napoli and Russell Cook, briefing counsel in high level cases. She has also worked as a senior consultant specializing in legal recruitment with Magic Circle and US law firms. Uh, she was also once a teaching fellow in family law at UCL. Right, good morning to you both and thank you again very much for joining us. Um, could I just start um, by asking you this relatively broad question? Um, what is infertility in the city? And perhaps, Natalie, I could start with you. So infertility in the city is what we like to call a movement of fertility warriors in start, what started out in the legal sector, but I'm sure is going to be um, taken on by all the other sectors. Um, so where we support each other who are going through fertility issues so that we can better make the... Um, working environment for everyone else going through it. We definitely feel that sharing stories about our own experiences helps to break the stigma of things that are usually taboo, like fertility issues and baby loss, so that the myriad of people that are going that will go through it after us are better supported. And you work very closely with Samaya uh, on this initiative, which I have to say has completely taken off in a very big way. So Maya, um, how did you come to work with Natalie on this? And, and where do you see your role in this initiative going forward? So um, Natalie and I, um, we've known each other very loosely for years from things that um, legal things in the, in the past. And um, what specifically, I think, precipitated infertility in the city was 
um, an article that I wrote published in a legal journal um, in the summer of last year, which Natalie had read. And essentially it was touching upon um, fertility benefits being rolled out in law firms in what we call big law firms. So big law um, being American, primarily in magic circle law firms. And the, uh, the, the article, which I think was published in The Lawyer that I was commenting upon, was talking about how we should all embrace, you know, Clifford Chance and the likes of Cooley offering egg freezing as a benefit. And my article was essentially sort of um, dissecting the pros and cons of that and commenting upon my observations of the industry. Um, and that actually it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security. And that if we're going to do this fertility benefits at work thing, we need to do it properly and in a more sort of holistic and all encompassing way. And um, fortunately, Natalie agreed with me and she reached out and sent me an email and said, look, you know, I've read your article. I agree that these are my views on it. Can I share it internally with my partners? Which she did. Um, we then had a coffee and we had a really long coffee and we both spoke very sort of openly about our sort of raw and real experiences with infertility or fertility challenges. Um, and then um, shortly after that meeting, I sent Natalie an email and said, look, I, you know, I, I think we should. I think we should hold a discussion event about it. Um, and then fast forward to the 6th of December, 2021, and we held our first debut infertility in the city event at an American law firm called Sidley Austin, um, which was um, supported and hosted by um, a, a funds partner there called Fatima Orgella. Um, she's probably one of the best known sort of corporate funds lawyers globally actually and she was a, a massive advocate of this and having spoken personally of her own fertility journey um, and I think what we really wanted to focus on specifically is a uh, there is so much of this happening in the legal world which goes unspoken and b the impact that sort of chronic stress at work has on your fertility both sort of physically you know but biologically, if you can, if you can call it that, but also in terms of how you manage and cope with that journey whilst you're on it. Thank you, Samir. I understand you then ran a second event very recently in the summer. Uh, and was that also, did you find that actually there were um, some common themes or perhaps some common topics which crept up that your um, people who came along to these events were interested in or wanted to talk about? I mean, were you able to discern that there were any sort of common threads to this? Definitely. So Infertility in the City Part 2 was hosted with Stevenson Harwood. And one of the things that Natalie and I wanted to do a second time around was look at were there any gaps? So were there any sort of um, viewpoints that we didn't cover and one was sort of the non-partner view um, which focused specifically on kind of the intersectionality of culture and infertility at work and so we had a uh, an employment associate from the law firm Scadden join us as a panelist as a result of that and we also wanted to cover the viewpoint of the LGBTQ community so we had David Savage, who is head of financial prime at Stewart's, and he's a partner there, um, join. And so actually, we felt that when you looked at the panel, which was made up, I think, of seven panellists, wasn't it, yeah, Natalie? Yeah, seven, yeah. Um, it was, it was, you know, there were so many voices there. And I think the common themes, were, I mean, we had over 100 people. Um, it was incredibly well attended. You know, it was, um, it was, it, the feedback was absolutely brilliant, as I'm sure, you know, Natalie will, will have told you. And 
Um, I think that the people sitting in the, in the audience, A, couldn't believe just how raw and honest all of it was, B, how much it resonated with them, either because of their own personal experiences or because they had you know, someone in their team that went through something very similar. Um, and I think the overwhelming feeling that certainly Natalie and I had was you know, that the legal industry has been crying out for this for, for I mean, decades, frankly. Yeah, yeah I, 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 it, it was very interesting there when you touched upon intersectionality because, and you mentioned that certain cultural aspects, of course, might make you know, other people's experiences quite different from the mainstream experience, if I can call it that way, and also LGBT issues. And so did you find that actually um, Infertility in the City Part 2 were able to bring together a more cro- broader cross-section of people because perhaps they found out about um, the first event. It's been in the media a lot. I, I know Natalie and certainly you as well, you've been on social media. So I wonder whether there's been a bit of an opening up of um, a general discussion about this, which has, which has actually trickled down to reach people who perhaps might not have been as comfortable as it were turning up to these events. Would you, I definitely would you agree, agree with that? that? Yeah, I mean, we've been, um, I, I've certainly re, um, had messages from people, sort of DMs in my social media, thanking thanking us for putting on such an event that it was that they think it's so needed and interestingly a lot of those messages come from barristers female barristers who are undergoing their own facility treatment who actually have not been able to attend these events because either they, they're on their own fertility journeys at the moment and therefore it's it's too it's too raw for them they, they it's, it's it's too difficult for them to attend something like that it's triggering and I completely understand but in any event they've reached out to say but thank you for having these events because it's so it's so important and I wish that they had been around at an earlier stage for them and certainly they they would attend after if if they once their fertility journey is complete but yeah having people reach out to us and having a more cross-section of people on the panel as well as in the audience we had one um, man um, come to the first event and we had at least 20, 30 at our second event, um, three of whom, I'm pleased to say, are the um, head clerks at three of the uh, top um, family chambers. So we had Danny Chapman at 36, James Shortall at 29 Bedford Row, and Paul Harris at 1GC. It was amazing to have them there because we really feel like this conversation, it's not just a women's issue, it's an everyone issue. And we need to have men as part of that conversation, particularly to, to support barristers who have a completely different work um, life than us as um, solicitors have, because you have to go to court and, and your diary is completely different. So whereas we have policies in our firm that allows you to go and have fertility treatment um, and have your work covered in barristers can't really do that so um and when it's difficult to try and figure out what the answer is but I certainly think the starting point is to have the clerks attend something like this so that they can hear the experiences of people going through it to better inform how they um, support their own barristers and you know it's interesting because if you sort of go back I don't know 20 30 years or, or actually even less than that even to when I was was training to be a lawyer the, the the bar had only just sort of really started meaningfully thinking about things like social mobility and access for you know people of all social demographics to be able to become and train as barristers and so there were quite a lot of initiatives that different sets were putting in place 
to encourage that type of applicant and try to encourage a bit more diversity um, ethnic diversity and I think now actually what we're seeing is potentially the start of something that's going to start you know focusing on fertility and diversity and inclusivity from you know sort of a gender perspective as well maybe a bit more meaningfully so it you know it could definitely can be done and I think we hopefully we've planted those seeds Yes, no, um, absolutely. And it's about, you know, making sure the message continues to be sent out. Um, it's the representation. It's the fact that people, I mean, you mentioned female barristers who might not be um, in a position to attend your events um, in person, but actually knowing that there are these events out there, there are articles being written, um, that you are talking about this, you know, um, to the media on podcasts, etc. It's empowering you know, and it's educational as well. I mean, it, there's a huge educational element to this, uh, in, in my view. Um, in terms of just, I mean, having, having sort of, as it were, been spearheading this in your respective spheres for some time, um, do you have any advice to, um, you know, people who might want to start having a conversation with their employers about this, would like to see certain changes or steps being taken within their own organizations to make it better, to better support people going through um, fertility um, uh, issues or having a journey of their own. It might, might be surrogacy, it might be adoption. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have in terms of what steps might be taken in the shorter term to just improve matters? But for me, I think, um... Re well, reach out to us because we certainly um, gained our own experience that we, we can help with that. But also, I think training and education within firms. There is, um, so Burgess and me, we're working with Fertility Matters at Work. They are um, a CIC, a community interest company, who are dealing with educating workplaces in, um, in respect of the fertility journey so we're doing that training so not just myself but my other partners and everyone in the firm so that we can all better support anyone going through that and and we have had colleagues who have needed that um that assistance certainly as my role as fertility officer obviously i, I i've come to it from a personal experience point of view rather than a formal training point of view but the, but we want to be better at it so that's why we're undergoing that training but having policies in place and not just paying lip service to it, not just a tick box exercise. So really putting your money where your mouth is basically and undergoing that training so that you provide meaningful support. And that also, if you are having these policies in place, you are empowering your employees to, to open up about these struggles because often they, they don't. And of course, why would they? Because it's very, very personal experience. And if it's your, for example, if it's your, the, first time you're trying for a child and you're struggling you may not want your employer to know that you're even trying for a baby but if there is um, a dedicated person and policies that, that are in place to help you with that you already know that this is something that um, there is going to be a welcome conversation about and not a worrying conversation. And you know I think just to add to that you, you, you've you got to now we've got to find ourselves in a position where employers are being proactive rather than reactive it's all well and good people listening to podcasts like this and engaging with the content that we put out there and saying you know this is brilliant um, a really worthwhile cause but don't sit back and wait for an employee to come and say actually I've, I've experienced all of that and the last five years of my career have been punctuated with so much infertility grief 
because actually that might be quite a big and difficult step for them to take. You've got to just find someone who is willing to do it. It doesn't have to be somebody that's got personal experiences of any of this, but somebody who is prepared to reach out and make the most of all of the resources out there because there are ample resources. So, you know, there are fertility coaches that work with law firms across the city. So people like Emma Menzies at Ready Steady Coach, you know, probably the best name out there for this type of work. Um, And she's working with law firms across the industry to support people with fertility at work. Um, There are organisations like Fertifa that are specifically um, providing fertility benefits to law firms that want to genuinely provide, you know, access to um, fertility health for their individuals. Um, I think also law firms, particularly at sort of management um, and senior levels should realise that all of this is a massive recruitment tool. It's a really good retention tool, more meaningfully as well. Um, you know, I've I've had many a conversation and some of the best partner moves I've made are those where, you know, the candidates just said to me, I, I, I'm not going to be able to have a family here. I need to move somewhere else because I can't carry on with these clandestine appointments. I can't, you know, continue to keep having DNCs because of recurrent miscarriage, going straight into work and pretending as though nothing's happened. Maybe I need to go somewhere more, you know, more boutique somewhere where I'm going to have more control, more autonomy, etc. So, you know, it's, there is, there is certainly a lot for law firms to gain and it's, also massively culture changing. Um, You know, somewhere like Howard Kennedy, which was one of the first law firms to, you know, roll out a pregnancy loss policy um, and a fertility benefits policy. So, you know, that includes things like if you're having fertility treatment and actually it's a, you know, inverted commas, failed um, egg transfer, for example, there should be time for you to grieve that disappointment you know, outside of work. And so you don't need to have to make up a reason to be out the office for a couple of days or take your annual leave, which, you know, you you need to rest and recuperate. It's time that you should have off, you know, to get to get to terms with that, whether, you know, if you've had, in fact, I spoke to somebody last week, a candidate last week who is in the process of accepting that the only way she may have a family is through an egg donor. And so she will need therapy to help her navigate that process. And she's had to have a very candid conversation with her employers to say, I won't be here on these mornings, on these days for the next nine weeks. And this is the reason why. And it's just as simple as that. Um, and they've been incredibly positive. You know, they've been very responsive, receptive, you know, and, and, and proactive about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think perhaps your um, being, you know, the CEO and founder of Mimosa Fleur puts you in perhaps a more advantageous position from uh, when it comes to looking at the um, recruitment and retention angle. And I, I wondered whether you, you do actually see that played out on the ground, the, the fact that actually employers are better able to attract meritorious candidates, people who are you know, stellar, have stellar careers, but actually they might choose you because you have that advantage from a well-being fertility perspective. Absolutely. And I think the thing is, Jennifer, it's you, you've also got to, I mean, the, the reality is law firms and businesses, and in an ideal world, they wouldn't be having a conversation with me saying that this person will move to you. But, you know, their, their intention is to hopefully actually be on maternity leave within this time frame. 
Um, but it's about actually making sure that law firms partner with really responsible recruitment organisations and search firms that can help a law firm see the mid to long term benefit and investment value as well. That's critical because if you're going to make a game changing hire in the market that makes a really, really positive media splash, um, then, you know, if that person's going to be away for six months, nine months, 12 months, whatever it might be, surely it's worth looking at how you support that and put the resources in place to, you know, to facilitate that, because you'll then hopefully have that individual with you for the next 10, 20, however many years. Um, but unfortunately, not all of firms do take that more sort of medium to long term view. They focus too artificially on bottom line. And quite often those sorts of moves end up actually not necessarily having a huge amount of longevity in them in any event. The, the goodwill that you create from the get go when you support somebody on a journey like that um, or any other kind of personal circumstance they might be battling with is, is I mean, it's priceless. You know, it's it's priceless. Yeah. And uh, is it your impression that family law firms or those firms with, you know, a stronger family department, is it your impression they are ahead of the curve on this or actually not? That actually, you know, the bigger, possibly bigger commercial law firms have actually been, been more sort of welcome in embracing this? I mean, it, I, I personally, for me, I definitely wouldn't say family firms with big family law teams are ahead of the curve. Absolutely not. Um, and that's and without generalising, but actually that we do have quite a lot of data to back it up. Mm. Given the fact that these family teams are are overwhelmingly female, mm. it's astonishing. And if you look at Burgess Me, which is, you know, comparatively significantly smaller in revenue, headcount, etc. And yet they're the first family law firm that I'm aware of that's rolled out a fertility officer role. Um, I think that speaks volumes. It, it generally is more of the bigger firms that have been able to do it. And, and, and understandably so in that I suppose, you know, they might have more financial prowess. Um, but and, and what they're wanting to do now is educate themselves, as Natalie said earlier, on exactly how they should be doing it. It's not just having, you know, a £500 credit to go and get a, and I hate the phrase, fertility MOT, or go and get your eggs frozen. You know, it, they're, they're really looking at making it so much more all-encompassing. So I think well, since following our Infertility in the City events, which were very well attended by family law firms, we have found, we've heard afterwards, lots of them are going back to their own firms to say, right, we want to have these policies in place. We want to have a facility officer. I, people have come up to me to say, I've been asked to do this, or I've asked to be, to, um, to be this person, which was always our our intention we always wanted this to impact other law firms um so that's that's a great legacy for us i think and and, and infertility i mean i mean i make no bones about it infertility or fertility challenges in the family law world are chronic i mean you know it, for obvious reasons i do a lot of work in that space having practiced in it and i mean i am on the weekly having conversations with you know individuals that are going through it whether it's you know an associate a, a partner designate a, a legal director a partner and you know it's and it's an incredibly stressful environment it's very high performance it's very high pressure you know you are dealing with you know very difficult and tricky issues and humans on a daily basis you absorb so much of that pressure yourself and actually you don't leave yourself a great deal of latitude to then focus on your own issues and coupled with the long hours and the fact that you know relative to peers in other sectors you're pretty badly paid if I'm honest you know there's a lot there 
to grapple with. Mm. Um, and so actually, I, I've, I've, I've often found many a family lawyer that just can't afford to go and get the fertility treatment that they need um, or to take unpaid time off. And we're mostly women, aren't we? So um, there's more women in family law than um, other sectors. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have it all and um, show that we are we are capable and we can become partners. And that puts pressure on our careers and then on our family building years as well. So um, so that that's I mean, where I came from it from a family law perspective, certainly. And, and there are also definitely key character character traits that I see in family law candidates. So, um, you know, partners and, and generally those that practice family, they're fixers. You know, they like to be people that find solutions to everything. They, you know, they, they, they really like being able to take responsibility for other people's problems and find answers. And actually when it then comes to focusing on their own problems and they have a, you know, they feel completely out of control and unable to fix their own you know, go to commas problems when it comes to trying to expand their family or start a family, that becomes very, very difficult for them emotionally, psychologically to, to accept as well. Thank you. I mean, I was going to then um, delve into, if I may, Natalie, I mean, the, the role of fertility officer, which is the first in the country, yeah, it, it always it always makes me smile and giggle when people say that because when we when we sort of put it together, it it, it was it was born out of um, a partners meeting where I shared my own miscarriage and fertility struggles with the aim that I wanted a openly to share with with my partners. I was um, fairly new to the firm, but wanted them to know uh, what had happened. But also, I because because of the article that I'd shared from that Samaya had written, I knew that there were two, at least two of my uh, junior staff who had fertility issues on their radar. It wasn't quite diagnosed at that point, but certainly they were really interested in this article and um, and shared that with me. And I was very honored actually that, that they do that. And I think a lot of that comes down to myself being open as well. So it, you know, I automatically, I think, create that safe space. Um, but um, sharing it with my partner I was like, I'd really like there to be a culture here. Not that there wasn't already, but a, a more overt culture where we um, we support people going, you know, wanting to have families because mainly our junior staff are young females who are late twenties, early thirties, and to ignore or just pretend it's not happening. This idea that these these career women are going to want families just seemed artificial to me. It was like, well, certainly when I was that age, I was thinking that um, I would want a family and, and I was worried about how that would impact on my career. And I want, didn't want that for them. So um, so ha having this open discussion, I was like, well, how can we do this? I was like, I really didn't. I, 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 it wasn't me. It wasn't my idea. I, I wasn't like, you know, this is what I want to do. It was more, this is the, the outcome I want to achieve. And I wasn't sure how to achieve it. And then um, the partners, uh, Pete and Antonia, basically said, well, why don't you be our fertility officer? So, I mean, that was something I hadn't thought of, um, but it just seemed so, so simple and so obvious when, when it was mentioned. And um, so we already had a wellness officer and that was put in place through the pandemic because we wanted to make sure that everyone who was working from home weren't struggling so that they had someone that they could go to if they had any particular issues with that so that people didn't feel alone and, 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 um, and, and worried. So, uh, so it, uh, because that worked, it made sense that if this fertility officer role might work in the same way. So when we um, we announced it at um, the infertility in the city um, first event, 
and then it got picked up by um journalists and then of course that I was called I was emailed actually by a journalist from the Mail on Sunday wanting to know if anyone else was doing it and I said well I didn't think so um it was it was an internal thing it wasn't something we were announcing to the press or anything it was just an internal thing and um having spoken to Smea, who's done lots of things in recruitment, she'd never heard of it, anyone else doing it. And certainly when we announced it at the event, no one had said that they had done it, but certainly they'd come up to me afterwards to say that they would like to do it. So having said that to this Mail on Sunday reporter, then this article appeared in the, in the Mail on Sunday that week, um, basically calling me the UK's first fertility officer, which I just thought was, you know, quite funny. And, um, and I ran with it. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, so that's that's got the the role so much more um, publicity, and I think a lot more interest in other firms wanting to do the same because it's all very well having policies in place and benefits in place, but if people are too worried to use them because of what what that might perceive um, from the sort of upper um, partnership, if if the partnership are providing someone who's going to be able to to help you take part you know use those benefits and I think that's a much better way of doing it. I mean, it comes back to I think something you said Samaya about um, signaling and making sure that actually you know it's not it's not enough to be reactive you want to have in place structures and policies which welcome and you know if you're an outsider and hoping to join a firm for example the moment you see for example at Burgess Me that you know this is being talked about in a very open way in a very transparent way in a very supportive way there's a fertility officer that that says a lot doesn't it absolutely and and you know i think from a recruitment perspective something that and um, certainly i've been encouraging my clients to do is as a, as a sort of default position when when you are um looking at bringing someone on on board and it looks like an offer is going to be made then i am advising them to effectively provide copies of their maternity policy you know aspects of the partnership deed that deal with maternity leave maternity pay shared parental leave um aspects around fertility and just provide that voluntarily because i'll have some clients that say to me you know candidates that say to me Samaya, I really need to know about this, but I don't want you, you know, I don't want it to appear as if it's coming from me. And some that will be very honest and say, look, actually, I need to know because if, if there's an issue, then it's not the right firm. But if you start doing that by default, the symbology behind that is very powerful and it sends a really strong message. And ditto, I think, in relation to when you're looking at existing employees, I think now we've started this discourse, there's a certainly an element of consciousness raising there in the sense that um, if you're seeing somebody's performance has rapidly changed or their engagement with work or, you know, you're just seeing that they're not quite who they were and performing how they used to, then there could be a lot more to it. Um, and remember, people that are on fertility journeys, a lot of the time are being, you know, heavily medicated. So that impacts energy levels, fatigue, mood you know, tolerance, et cetera. And so I've I've had ample candidates say to me that they've put me on performance management. I feel they're trying to manage me out the door. Um, I They don't know that the reason why my billables have dropped to X and the reason why actually I didn't secure this client and why this pitch went terribly wrong was because of these reasons. So I think firms need to be and those, in, you know, in the management seats need to be more, um, aware of that as a possibility and it's difficult because you can't just approach you know joe blogs and say is your performance declining because you're on a fertility journey obviously not but there are ways and means of you know engendering the trust 
to hopefully have a more open culture. So Natalie, can I can I just come back to you? Do you know whether any other law firms have started looking at creating a, a role within within their organization? Yeah, I've been um I've heard that Pennington's Manchester Cooper have um have wanted to to do it. Anthony Gold, BLM now Clyde and Co. Um these are all people that um attended the event or at least have heard about it since and are wanting to put these um issues in place. We know that um I think Sidley Austin are using fertility matters at work. So um so yeah, so it's it's trickling down and it's exciting to see actually that that something that started out over a coffee in October 21 is now in you know a, a year later having all of the, all of this change. It's just really exciting. Do you mind me asking you both um for for those who are, you know, listening intently and and who want to be a part of this and want to attend your events? Is there anything planned in the pipelines, anything you can share at this stage? Or is it, you know, do we check your websites? How do we get information about the next exciting, exciting in-person event? We haven't planned one yet. <laughs> it takes a lot to, uh, to, to, um, to plan one. But so there were six months in between the first two events. So perhaps um, the end of the, this year, early next year perhaps we might think of, of putting another one on and what I would say is if anyone wants to be a panelist please do get in touch because um, we you know we have tapped our own um, um, network of people that might want to uh, to do this and as you said before Jennifer you know the more you hear about it the more you are going to want to share and I know that you know lots of people have come out to me since and have said uh, if there's anything I can do please please let us know so let me know so um, so certainly that's that's an open invitation to anybody particularly barristers that's a big call out for barristers mm -hmm. if you want to come on and and be part of the conversation we'd absolutely love to have you it's excellent any parting words, any advice you want to give, any sort of rallying calls? Samaya? Um, I think it's, it's from a law firm perspective, the proactivity point, um, put some money into this, put some time and energy into this. It, as I say, it's a radically, it, I, I would go so far as saying it can be quite transformational mm -hmm. for both law firm and, and employee. Um, and I would say from a sort of lawyer perspective, um, two things really don't be lulled into a false sense of security um, it's one of the panelists uh, Emma Harling Phillips a, a partner at Pinsent Masons who used to be my candidate when I moved her um, to Pinsent Masons from DLA Piper she said something very profound at the event and she said you know in 10 years time there is not a law firm in the land that will come and say to you thank you for delaying your fertility journey so that you could give your time and energy to us she said it you know that that will never be a thing so so I would say to those listening, you know, if, if having a family is on your radar, don't delay it for anyone or anything. If if the place you work cannot accommodate you um, with those plans in mind, then it's probably not the right place for you. And I would say if you are on a fertility journey of sorts, man or woman, um, I would say, you know, have the gumption and confidence in yourself to raise the issue with somebody you trust internally because nine times out of ten certainly my observations are that the law firm will be very receptive and you know know your worth because you're then able to command and demand what you need in those circumstances and actually you'll find the juggle the balance the strains the stress is much easier to navigate. I don't think that law firms have been so unreceptive 
because they're just indifferent. I, I don't think it's an issue of indifference. I think it's just a lack of understanding. Natalie? I totally agree with all of that. And, you know, for, if you're going through a fertility journey, don't do it alone. There's, there's so many of us out there who've been on it. And um, we... We are here to help, to help guide, to be a be a shoulder to cry on. So, um, so yeah. So for me, being open has been the best thing ever. So, um, so yeah, that would be my advice. Yeah, and I, you know, I wish these conversations were happening, you know, years and years ago. And uh, you know, Natalie and I said at the start, our own experiences of this have, you know, precipitated the the movement. I think, you know, when I was in practice, I I literally had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy at work. I was rushed to hospital from my desk at quarter to eight in the morning. And I remember on the way to hospital, all I could think about was, I've got this trial tomorrow. You know, what, what am I going to do? I wasn't thinking about my recovery. I was, And actually, the other thing I was so distracted with was, I don't want my team to think I'm trying for a baby because I'm actually not. I had no idea about this. There was There was nothing at the forefront of my mind about recovery, emotionally, physically, and the 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 priority for me was to get back to work as soon as I could and that has a massive impact on things like PTSD mm-hmm. you know and then that consequently really does I think negatively impact your fertility journey moving forwards when I wish someone had just said to me forget work there are ample people around you that can do that and we are here to make sure that you know you have the time to heal emotionally physically etc um and, and, and actually there's an element of personal responsibility that that's probably the third thing I'd say you have to take personal responsibility in this journey as well and I wish I had back then the confidence to say actually none of that matters what matters now is my health mentally physically you know my fertility health and that's going to be my priority well, thank you so much both uh, for coming on this podcast and, and sharing and just enlightening us um, I do firmly believe and it's something you both touched upon, you know, there's, there's a huge educational element to all this. Um, I think, Sima, you're absolutely right. It's not that law firms um, are, you know, maliciously sort of not wanting to help their employees or future recruits. It's about not knowing that there is, in fact, an issue which um, actually affects a huge majority of the population. So, Um, I would certainly be very interested in finding out more about your future events. So do very much keep us updated on that front. I don't know whether you're planning on writing any further articles and certainly will be, it will be good to, uh, I think, share that article you wrote uh, in 2021, Samaya. But yes, thank you very much. And I very much hope that um, people will volunteer actually to come and speak on your panel, including including barristers and, you know, law firms and clerks and, um, yes, across all sectors, I think should be should be at your event. Bums on seats. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you for for doing this. And you know, the, I can't stress enough the importance of barristers getting more help and support. You're losing too many really good people to private practice at the moment, um, across all of the sectors in mm. in you know as uh, in chambers, and so much more can be done and more needs to be done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks. Have Bye. a lovely day. Thank you very much. Good morning.